Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A lot of that anger came from a lot of just childhood bullying and getting pushed around and any little kid, right? They need to know that they're loved, that they're good enough, that they're accepted right at a deep level. So I never got that. So a lot of my business drive was like, screw you, I'm going to prove this to you. And my net worth and self-worth were very much tied together. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Matt Schaup a seasoned entrepreneur with a rich history of building successful businesses from the ground up. Matt's journey began with a simple lawn mowing business and now has grown into six businesses. In this episode, you can look forward to learning three crucial aspects that can redefine your approach to business. First, discover the art of storytelling, a powerful tool that has the potential to connect your audience on a deeper level creating a bond that goes beyond mere transactions. Next, we delve into the secrets of crafting a compelling brand narrative, one that resonates with people and brings them closer to your vision. Lastly, gain insight into maintaining passion and drive in your entrepreneurial journey. This is a great episode. Let's talk with Matt now. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Tyler, I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, well, thanks for being here. You know, I um, I just wanted for the video. Uh, here's your book, Painted Baby. I wanted to first thank you. You sent me this along with a nice little uh, goodie bag. And it seems like when you sent it to me, it feels like it's been months and months now. It was actually feels like quite a while. I'm not sure if it's that long. No, I think it has because I think we had a reschedule and I had travel and then my wife had transitioned into helping me. She's helping me in the business right now. And uh, awesome. we're learning how to work well together. We tried it about 15 years ago and it's actually going really well. But uh, yeah, no, I feel like this has been a long time coming. I'm super pumped to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And I'm, we've got so many things to talk with you about. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Uh, Matt, if you don't mind just to start the show, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So I live in uh, Northern Colorado. We're about an hour North of Denver here in Loveland. And kind of to sum everything up, I don't like the pretentious bios. I'll talk about all the business story, but I love people. I love Jesus. I love coffee. I love business. I love leadership. I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I love sharing stories with 
other people in the business leader and ownership space just about my story and what I've overcome through that story to tie it all up into leadership lessons that can make people's lives better. So I literally get to just hang out, drink coffee with other business owners and leaders, a lot of, a lot of men, and just share how I can help them. And it's really, it's really fun. It's really satisfying. I mean, it's just cool to be in that space. Yeah, that's very cool. So I, I do want to talk about your story a little bit because I think you have just an awesome story. Even on your website, the way you lay it out, you put periods of time in terms of uh, you know what you were going through, which I think is cool. But what kind of started your whole entrepreneurial journey, I believe, is you started a lawn care business at a very young age. Is that correct? Could you kind of take us through what started your whole entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, we moved from New Jersey to Colorado when I was 10. And that summer, it was between fourth and fifth grade. This is when compact discs were coming out and everybody had the big boom boxes, you know, with the, there was like 12, had like 12 batteries in it. And I was at a friend's house and he bought a new boom box. I go, how'd you get that? Oh, my mom and dad bought it for me. You know, just ask your mom and dad. So I did that. They said, nope, you know, find out a way to make your own money. I was getting paid like five, four or five bucks a week to cut our grass. And I said, well, can I go cut other people's grass? And I just walked around the neighborhood and started knocking on doors. I was a young, like, when I was young, I was very energetic. Uh, I loved telling stories. I had that gift of gab and I wasn't afraid to go ask for things. Alongside that, I was being bullied a lot. So I wasn't, you know, I was kind of scared of the world, wasn't super confident in many other spaces other than when I found that business space. So business for me at a young age, it did two things. Like on paper, I made money. I bought the boom box and then I made more money than I had needed. It was 200 bucks, I think. And I made a couple thousand, but I'm like, wow, you can go out, set a goal, ask for something and get rewarded for your efforts and you can measure it. So it gave me a sense of confidence and certainty that, that when I stepped into that space, I knew like you could beat me up on the playground, right? And that continued for a long time, uh, but you're not going to beat me in business marketing sales. And that's the beginning of that journey for me. Very cool. I have this image and there's no judgment here, but did the boombox make it to your shoulder as you walked down the street? I was a little guy, you know, it was, uh, I wasn't like, I didn't do the, you know, walking down the street with the boombox, okay, but no, okay. I parked it up on a counter. I never carried it up there. Yeah, I was a little skinny, skinny buck tooth kid, you know, with like the goofy eighties, early nineties clothes, but I just had it set up on a little shelf at home. And then, you know, I used that extra money. I was buying CDs and music and um, you know, then then we went to the the Costco. It was a Sam's Club, and buy big bulk candy boxes, and then I'd sell those at school. So I was always continuing to turn that into something. Very cool. So it all started there. Now, did you? I think it, until you started M and E painting, did you take kind of a hiatus and went into kind of corporate America uh, for a while, and then it's and then I believe you got laid off, and that reinvigorated, for lack of better words, into starting this whole chain that you went into. Is that, take me through that. Yeah, so lawn mowing turned into snow shoveling, which I didn't enjoy as much. I didn't enjoy the cold. It's cold here, Colorado. That turned into candy peddling. And I got, I was getting mixed messages about what I was doing. So it's like, great, you made money, you got a boom box. And then hold on a minute, you're suspended. You can't compete with the school store. So I was getting very mixed responses about being an entrepreneur. And I had this journey of, of, staying in certain lanes I thought I was supposed to stay in, breaking the rules within those lanes. So I got into just hourly work. I worked at a Chinese restaurant as a busboy. I worked at a sandwich shop and a shoe store leading up to college. And in all of those positions, I landed into leadership positions. So they saw that I had work ethic, but it was just trading time for money. My re-spark re to business 
sitting in a Monday morning biology class at Colorado State University. I'm like 18. And a college painting company came into class and recruited me. They basically said, hey, what are you going to do this summer? Work at a shoe store, deliver pizzas? And I'm like, yeah. They said, well, how would you love to do marketing, sales? They're literally listing everything that I loved that I'm great at. And then they throw some stupid, crazy number. The guy says, I made $30,000 last summer. Like that would be, that would be cool. So I went through their process. And then a couple months later, I'm learning about the residential paint contracting business. Wow. And then that's when you, I think you got laid off. Yeah. And then that kind of gave you the push to do your own painting business. Is that how that played out? I worked four years with college painters through college, uh, made a bunch of money, spent more than I made graduate. And I walked away from painting. I go, this isn't a sexy business. You know, like the optics matter. I'm going to get into the mortgage business. This is like 0304. This is when anybody could go get a phone, make a phone call, give somebody a loan with no income, no assets. I mean, it was crazy. Right. But I just, I didn't fall in love with that space. I ended up working at a bank, a very sit down, shut up conservative bank. And they called me in there Tuesday morning, March 2005, new president comes in and he said, go get all your stuff, put it in a box, get out, you're fired and kick me out of the bank. So yeah, got laid off um, early 2005. This is eight months after I'm married. We bought a house. We were you know, totally upside down in debt. And I've got like $100 left to my name standing in a parking lot, 10 minutes from my house. Like, what am I going to do? And I had to make a decision at that, at that moment pretty, pretty quick. And then you decided to start the M&E painting. Yeah, that's when we launched M&E. Yeah. Yeah, and then that just kind of took off into kind of an enterprise. You went into, ultimately, you you went into like six different businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, literally the rest of 2005, I, I came home, I told Emily what happened, and I was super upset about it. I grew my business for many years just being angry with a lot to prove. So we'll kind of park that for life business lessons later. But you know, it worked. Uh, we grew to a million dollars in three years, multi-million in five, and we changed our financial situation pretty quickly. And then I'm a serial entrepreneur at heart. You know, I'm seeing new opportunities and sometimes I'd get distracted by too many, but yeah, one business led to another. Uh, we've got a roofing division. We do real estate. We own a jujitsu academy. And right now I'm focusing on my speaking and writing and our podcast and trips to Spain. But uh, yeah, we sit today with with six companies. We're in the process of getting ready to sell one. Uh, it was a drywall repair tool that we patented and created, and uh, it's had a great run. And it just needs another another kind of company to take it where it needs to go right now. So we're going to sell that. And yeah, it's just been a journey, a couple decades of just ups and downs, and lessons and stories, and just amazing people that I've gotten a chance to meet along the way. Let's talk about that that business lesson you had mentioned. Uh, yeah. You know, you had some anger, rightfully so, and you channeled it into like building your business. Well, what's the lesson there? What did you kind of take away from that? So, a lot of that anger came from a lot of just childhood bullying and getting pushed around, and you know, said like any any little kid, right? They need to know that they're loved, that they're good enough, that they're that they're accepted, right, at a deep level. So, I never got that. So, a lot of my business drive was like, screw you, I'm going to prove this to you. And my net worth and self worth were very much tied together. And I'll even say, like, that's a program that'll still pop up sometimes and start chirping at me even today. You know, you have a a down month or a down year. It's like, you suck. So, your self worth is not tied to your net worth. And it's not all about the profit. There are people involved in business and 
all this money part of the business, like you need to support your family, obviously, right? You need to invest. You need to be wise with money. You don't get to take any of that with you. And the people that you journey with along the way in life and business and leadership, they're going to remember how you impacted their life way more than the dollars that you made, you know, and there's just so much of that stuff out there right now, you know, become a millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire, whatever. And and people get so tied up into it. And I almost think it makes everybody feel worse along where they are in their journey when they're really impacting people and they forget about that pretty easily. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I mean, I, I think and this might even be a little bit more, I think, for men where because I was kind of brought up and maybe even raised to some degree of thinking, you know, how much you make or how much you provide is kind of who you are in some ways. I mean, working really has been a lot of times part of my identity. So it's um, building a business or being successful or whatever. How do you though, it's so easy to say, well, we shouldn't do that. Like what, how do you get away from that? So you're not doing it as much and you are thinking about helping people as, and things that are really more important, frankly. It's being able, so for me, and this was part of when I wrote Painted Baby, you know, I got called out on some things in business about how I was presenting myself, marketing myself, telling my story. But I was, I remember just getting really anxious about a business deal one day. And I was sitting there discussing it with Emily. And I said, I said something and Haley, my daughter, she's now 12. She was a little younger back then. She's eight or nine. And I said, well, you know, if we don't close this deal, we're not going to be able to make this money or do this. And, you know, Haley just says, dad, I just want, I just want you here. I don't care about the money at like eight years old. So I think to practically do it is you have to provide like males. You, it's part of being a male is you provide, you protect, you contribute. But when you talk about provision, it's not always financial. It's like, how are you emotionally providing to your kids, to your spouse? Provision, it's contribution. It's filling a cup. It's filling a bucket. And there's financial bucket. And in business, guys, like that bucket goes up and down. Sometimes it's full, it's overflowing. Sometimes it's not as much. But when you're only focused on that and you're missing moments in your kid's life or in your journey with your spouse or just just the little things, you know, like your kids just want to know that that they're good enough and that they're loved by you, by their father. And, you know, more money's not going to fix if you're missing all these other things. There's lots of other buckets to fill. Yeah. So I'd say practically is write that down is like, what does my wife, what do my kids, what do the immediate people in my business need from me? There's obviously a financial box. We just focus on that too much and we can totally miss the spiritual, the emotional, just the time, the presence. Uh, Love Languages was a book that really changed my approach towards people, my approach towards marriage and relationships with others. Um, You know, somebody might like Emily, my wife, she just wants to sit on the couch, have quality time. I can't stand sitting still. So that's hard for me, (laughs) but I know that's how I love her. I need words of affirmation from her. And, you know, my kids are each different. My kid hates, my son Riley hates physical touch. I want to hug him. He's like, get away from me. (laughs) So I hope, I hope that helps everybody, you know, everybody, especially men practically. So I think it's good schedule time in your calendar once a month, once a quarter to just go write that out, take really critical self-evaluation, then have others self-evaluate you because you might think you're providing what you need in those buckets and somebody's bucket could be totally unfulfilled. Yeah. I love how you kind of went through each person and just 
acknowledged where to meet them at in terms of what resonates for them. Like, you know, when your son doesn't like to be touched, for example, or your wife just wants to sit down. And I'm kind of with you, like sitting down is very hard for me just to sit there and do nothing. Like I want to, my mind's racing. I want to be moving around. So I have to, you know, for me, I, you know, 10 o'clock at night, I'm okay sitting down like that. That's a good Mm -hmm. time to just kind of chill out and slow down. But do that on a Saturday afternoon at four. And that's really hard for me because I'm still mentally wanting to be moving and doing things. Yeah. 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 No. And, and again, it's just, just being aware of that. I think with the awareness, cause I was completely self unaware. I was not self-aware at all in my early twenties of business. Like I was crushing it in business, super pissed off and just burning people out, burning bridges. Nobody wanted to stay and work with me. And I got a really big call out some big, big business coach that was not afraid to get in my face. He told me, he's like, dude, you're, you're a dick. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, you're a jerk. People don't want to work for you. And if you keep behaving this way, this is how things are going to keep going. Yeah. It's tough too, though. I would argue in trade type services, you tend to get that mentality. And I think it's, it comes from both angles, from a worker standpoint and from an owner standpoint, you get this, uh, I don't know if I'd call it mono a mono, whatever it is, but there's this friction. And I see that a lot in trade services. What's and I've even had someone tell me when I tried to coach them into being a little more open-minded in terms of how they interacted with their staff, their comment was, dude, you don't understand this space. This is the way you have to treat people. This is the way you have to do it. What's your thoughts when you hear that? You know, it's there's a stereotypical in the blue collar trade business is, you know, you've got you've got people that are really proud of their work. I had a, I had a gentleman named Harley Newman. He uh, is a friend of mine and he runs a painting business in the same town that I do. So most people would say he's a competitor. He's a great friend. But he came on the podcast and he goes, man, in 2005, when I met you, he's got a crazy story. He's like, I was out of prison. I was addicted to drugs. I'd walk into the paint store and I'd want to kick your ass because you're like the briefcase carrying business guy. You don't know anything about painting. How are you going to grow a business? So there's some of that, that, at least in my experience, they go, how can I respect this guy that won't pick up a brush? And I'm sitting here looking at, you know, well, I'm, we're providing the work. We're a sales and, and a marketing machine. So the trades are tough. And stereotypically, you, you can get more of a percentage of people that have had rough pasts, rough upbringings, they're working to and through the weekends and, and they're just, just a, a little a little short. So what I used to do is I used to drive them like crazy. And I would take that approach, Tyler. I would say, you know what, you've got to, you've got to be kind of crappy to these people because they're kind of being crappy to me. But then what I what I learned is you can stand firm, you can stand tall, you can stand rooted and like this is okay, this is not, with a big smile on your face and still love and be kind to people. So it is a balance. And the trade industry is little different though yeah. you know yeah that's good stuff i hope that helps for anybody in the trade industry you can't let people walk over you but you can't just be so steamrolling them that it almost turns into they're like you know what i can't wait to get away from this guy i find another couple bucks an hour i'm out you know or i find another project i'm out and that's something that happens a lot too you have to build a team where people know that that you love them that you trust them and that you're going to hold them accountable to things but that you're going to reward them that you're going to share in the profits that are created together If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button.
Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. And that's something that happens a lot too. You have to build a team where people know that that you love them, that you trust them, and that you're going to hold them accountable to things, but that you're going to reward them, that you're going to share in the profits that are created together. Was it that coach that helped you cross the line into like the world of delegation and just starting to put together a business that has value as opposed to, you know, it was kind of all on your shoulders. Is that where that, that line happened? That was a big wake up call and a big call out. So I've always loved personal development. So just along that journey of just being angry and upset, kind of a jerk, you know, I have that call out from him about 2012, you know, leading up to that, I had studied a lot of business and personal development. So I knew I needed to scale. I knew I needed to delegate. And I was, it was just about how I was doing it. But you know what I'll tell you, this um, is something a lot of business owners may or may not know, but Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like that really saved and changed my life in a lot of ways. That sport, that art teaches you how to be completely patient under pressure. It can show you that strength and driving forward and being aggressive could be actually one of the worst things that you could ever do. I got beat up by a kid half my age, half my size in my first jujitsu class. So that all that's just the combination of all of those things has really helped me shift from X's and O's. You're a cog in my wheel. You're producing profit versus like you're a person with a story and I need to understand your story and invest in your story. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I want to switch gears. So your book, The Painted Baby, this is your latest book. You have, you have two books. Yeah. So this is a book around storytelling. I'd love to first talk about what is The Painted Baby? How did you come up with that? And then I'd love to just delve a little bit into you know good storytelling. What, why is that important to us? Where, where should we be implementing it in our businesses? Those types of questions. Yeah. So painted baby, if you hold up the book, the actual baby that's painted on the cover, that's my daughter, Haley, right about, right about three years old. And here's what happened. I'll actually share the story and then share why sharing stories is important in business. I'm about to close the biggest business deal of my career in 2011. It's a 20 times the size of a normal contract. And I had always learned, always been taught that you go features, benefits, ask for the business handle objections. And and you do this, but I was like, I was ready to close this deal. And I'd worked with this customer before and I'm sliding the contract, putting the pen on the table. He keeps pushing it back. He's like, Matt, I'm not signing this. I'm not doing this. And he's a straight shooting, you know, straight shooting guy. And he says to me, I've never been asked this before in my business career. He says, tell me about a time you screwed up and what you did about it. I'm like, hold on. You want me to be imperfect and be vulnerable and share something that didn't go well? That's not how we do things. This is like before the big age of social media where this is so present that everybody's perfect. So I told him, I said, hey, three years ago, we were on a job site painting a house, finishing up. And my paint, my painter's name's Raul, is getting ready to pull the trigger of a spray gun to paint a door, black, semi-gloss paint. Pulls the trigger. We have a one in a million just incident happen. The sprayer blows up. Paint explodes everywhere. The house, landscaping. He didn't realize that the owner, mama and her nine-month-old baby, owner of the home and nine-month-old baby girl standing right behind him. So they all get covered in paint. So we actually painted a baby on a job site. That's a bad day at the office. You don't want that to happen. Like that was one of the worst events we could have had happen in our business. And uh, we made it right though. We addressed the situation. 
We made it right. They were ultimately happy at the end to refer to some more business, but I'm like, we're going to push this story away. We're not going to share this. You don't want any kind of imperfections to show up. But Bill, he calls me out in this sales appointment. I tell him, and he signs the contract. He goes, you're the kind of guy I want to do business with. And I went on a journey after this point in 2011 to go, what, like, what just happened here? I shared this information, but as I did it, I literally hooked him in. I took him there. I set the scene. I set the stage. I was telling him a story and he was totally intrigued. So the, the two big lessons there is as we're selling, as we're connecting with others, because sales, just about connecting with another human, right? And you're meeting their needs and they trust you at a base level, but also a deep level. And you're doing that not by informing, not by giving and spewing and throwing up information, but you're pulling them in with a great story. You know, think of um, any recent story, movie, how whatever kind of media you received it in, something hooks you. There's a storyline. There's some kind of plight that's involved where somebody or something is in danger of letting something or somebody down. And then there's there there's a moment where action happens, a resolution is made. So this is the process and. You know, if you look at really good marketing and connecting, it's through story. That's how we've connected for years as humans. And up until that point, I was telling, just distributing information. And I got really good over the next two years of just continuing to share and craft and modify this message with people. And it raised our close rate significantly. You know, it raised our ability to connect with clients. And then when things didn't go well, there was just less friction there. So I think any any business owner, if you're like, well, hey, I didn't paint a baby. I didn't almost kill a client's kid. What's the story I can tell? Origin story is so huge. So like, how did you get to where you are? What were some of the struggles that that you had to overcome to get there? And it connects with another person on a human level. And they see that you've worked hard to overcome something. So if you don't have a, a big business blow up, maybe there's a personal one. You know, like the podcast that I literally launched today, my guest was a four-time felon. Now he's a full-time pastor. He he ended up in a really bad place and had to work through a lot of struggle and challenge to get to where he is. But I guarantee you, when you listen to that story, you're going to be hooked and you're going to feel connected to him and ultimately have a deeper level of trust and connection. And that's what business is all about. Yeah, I like that. Is there, in terms of becoming a good storyteller, is that something just practice or do you have a framework in your head or what, what's the approach to being good at it? Yeah, obviously with anything, just just practicing right over and over, but practicing through a framework. So when you when you grab the book, there's actually a, a chapter. It's the uh, the painted baby storytelling process. And I mean, you've got you've got the hook, you've got the setup, you've got the characters, you've got the storyline, but it's all building up towards how do I want to connect with this person? Doesn't even have to be a client. You could be recruiting a team member. This could be a new vendor relationship. This could be maybe you're, you're single, you're in the dating world. So you can replace the, in the subtitle of the book, connect with clients. You can replace clients with any other human. And you're doing that through brave and vulnerable storytelling. So it's, yeah, it's setting the scene, taking them through. And then there's always the moment in a brave and vulnerable storytell where you get that pit in your gut, like I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to share this vulnerable moment. And most of the time, those people lean in. There will be some times when they don't. And, and we could talk about that. We've got time. But just practicing through that framework and you know, starting with small failures and places where you missed the mark and then working up to working up to bigger ones. Is there a certain spot where you wouldn't 
want to be that candid and open. So like, you know, naturally when you say, Hey, you're about to, you know, give a proposal, you know, my mind works like yours did at that time. Like, is this really where I want to talk about how I painted a nine month old baby or, you know, so when is it right? When is maybe it not right? Yeah. No, I love it. I, I love that question because you can over, you can overdo it, right? You've got to consider the context. You have to consider, say it's just in the business scenario, the client that you're that you're dealing with. It might not be the right place. It might not be the right time. So you could pull back on that story. So prior to painting a baby, we painted the wrong house. Like we actually painted the wrong house. Whoops. So maybe there's a smaller mistake. Maybe there's a better lead in. You know, the other thing that I that I share and as I coach through with business owners is maybe you drop and you share that that piece of information and then you know, you get a little bit of a, of a pushback or a lean back from that client, you know, you can, you can kind of tune that down. I would also say that there's, in my experience, there's certain people that don't want to connect that way. They don't want to connect at that deeper, more emotional, vulnerable level. And the more vulnerable, have you ever done this? You're getting vulnerable, maybe it's especially with another guy and you're like, Hey, I got to share something, you know, this is just a boom. And then you lay it on the table and they kind of, they do this. Mm -hmm. I've had that. Yeah. And I pull that back and you'll get good at recognizing that. So I'd say in a scenario like that, you definitely don't need to continue sharing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, I want to switch gears. I have a couple other things I want to talk with you about. Spain and just the culture. I know that's important to you. You have deep love for Spain. I'd love to talk about a little bit what you got going on in Spain and how does their culture influence the way you do business? Yeah, I fell in love with Spain 20 years ago. I did a study abroad semester my junior year at Colorado State University. And uh, Spain is such a 180 in so many ways from the American culture to the Spanish culture. It's slow. It's a chance where I get to disconnect, unplug, recenter, refocus, and, and just revision on what I've got going on in life and sit down, have a meal for three hours with friends and just not be rushed to do anything. So Spain for me gives perspective on how people do life. It always reaffirms and confirms with me, you know, what we talked about before, like, it's not always about the dollars and cents. It's like, I've got amazing relationships with, with people and memories that I'll have with them, with my kids, with my family for life. And I love bringing pieces of Spain back to the States. And then I always love bringing pieces of the States over to Spain. So a big dream of mine for a long time has been to take people there. It initially started as, hey, let's go do a tour, you know, kind of a, a vacation tour. But that being one of my biggest passions and then leadership and just hanging around great business people, I combined that into two different experiences. So I'm taking a group of gentlemen uh, just in a couple of weeks, like by time this airs, we've already done it on the Camino in Northern Spain. We're actually hiking 70 miles over six days with, um, it's a group of men that are super successful. They've just kind of lost their way, lost their vision, lost their focus a little bit, you know, and that's okay. So we're going to get them back on track. And then I've got uh, the ultimate immersion coming up in 2024, April, where it's more of an adventure challenge. Think amazing race combined with really intentionally curated experiences that you can only have with me because they're with other people and companies and places that I have relationships with over there. But you'll be very uncomfortable, very much out of your comfort zone. And you're going to learn leadership and what you're made of in a, in a really unique and really fun way. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, is it Camino Verde? The, I think one of the Spain trails, it's like 26, I think it's 26 days or something like that, where you literally, some people will actually walk through that 
continuously for a whole month until they get to one end or the other. So it sounds like you're going to be on some piece of that. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so cool. the Camino de Santiago, it's the way of yeah, that's St. Right. James. Camino Santiago, that's right. There's so many routes now. So it's basically tons of different routes to Santiago. The traditional one is you start southern France and you cross up over the Pyrenees and hike west across all of northern Spain. It's 800 kilometers. So do that math, about 500 miles. It's yeah, 28 to 45 days, depending on how you break it up. We're going to do the last six days. 72 miles in Santiago. So cool. That yeah. That's kind of a bucket list for me. Someday I'd like to do the, I don't know if I'll ever make it, but I'd love to do the full yeah. from beginning to end. I think that would be so cool. They they claim you do that. There's like a real spiritual connection you have just being out in the, the beautiful, you know, outdoors and just connecting with yourself. Yeah. You're in the middle of some of the most beautiful Middle of Spain, like yeah, middle of nowhere, yeah, no yeah. cell phone service, no anything. And then you'll kind of pop through, like then you pop through Pamplona and then you pop through these big cities and you meet amazing people. I mean, I've met a family with three kids. They were five, seven, and nine. You guys are walking the Camino? They go, yeah, we do eight miles a day, which is a lot for a kid. Yeah. That's, a, that's a small, that's a short day. And they said, we're just doing these little sections and we want to do the whole thing as a family over our lifetime. Um, all the way up to, I hear the little footsteps pitter pattering. I'm like, who that person's fast? Like a 77 year old woman. She's like, hey guys, I do this every year, the whole thing. She takes a month every year and she smokes us, you know? Like, I, I think I'm fit. This lady just smoked me. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, there's, there's spiritual, there's bucket list, there's the group dynamic. I hiked it with a group of CSU students in 2019, I came in as kind of a leadership coach for them. Then I hiked it with my son in 2022, uh, just as he's coming into manhood and, you know, turning from boy to man. And we just had kind of a father son experience and uh, he kicked my butt as well. I'm getting old and slow. Man, you know? <laughs> it's another, another lesson here. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I always love to end the show. Do you have either a business or a life tip you can share with us something along the way of your journey? Yeah. And I already kind of shared it, but I'll, I'll share a couple more yeah. is when, when you have a purpose and when you have a passion and a calling, there'll be a lot of things that push against that. So, you know, what I, what I tell business owners is if you feel like God or whatever you believe in, that's bigger than you is calling you to something and you start to get a lot of pushback. I've given up a lot of times because of that in life. And I keep getting pulled back to the same thing. So when you're getting a lot of that friction, a lot of that pushback, it means you're, you're probably onto something. And keep exploring that and remember the greater purpose. And again, you got to make money. That is an important thing. It fuels your life, your lifestyle and everything. Uh, but there's going to be way more important things that you leave behind for people than money. So always, always take that into account. And I always close everything with like, if you're just struggling right now in life, leadership, business, and you don't think anybody's got your back, like just know that I love you. I believe in you and you've got this and go get it. Love it. That's great. Hey, your website, Matt Schaup. I said that correctly. MattSchaup.com. I'm amazed. <laughs> the spelling's a little different, though, from how you might think it's uh, enunciated. It's M A T T S H O U P.com. MattSchaup.com. Yeah. And then your new 
podcast, which by the way, congratulations. Thank you. Gentle Art of Leadership. I will put these links in the thinktyler.com show notes. So they'll be on there if you want to get these links. And um, Matt, other than that, man, I'm I'm super excited for you. I hope the Spain trip that you're going to go do in a couple of weeks goes really well. It sounds like just an amazing Thank you. opportunity uh, for those individuals. So, so thanks for being a guest and hopefully you can come back on again in the future. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing for everybody in, in the community that you serve, man. It's awesome. Okay. Take care, Matt. Thanks. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid.